and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and tonight I'm coming to you live at 11.32 p.m. from Columbus, Ohio, to break down the Buccaneers' 25-23 victory over the New York Giants and also want to touch on some of the week's more popular waiver claims, go through them, and talk about if they're worth your time, and if they are, how much we should be spending on them. So happy, uh, you know, now it's on the week nine, everybody. So this has been a fun uh, first half of the season. Hopefully we have another fun, uh, you know, it's going to be nine more regular season weeks to go, and of course the playoffs. So time to, you know, stay attuned with the league as we know it, you know, get those top waiver wire additions and continue to make our trek towards championship Sunday. So without further ado, let's break down the Buccaneers uh, big time win. You know, I say big time a little bit ironically, any win over the NFC East, you know, should probably be worth about, you know, 0.75 or something. But to give the Giants uh, their due credit, I mean, Daniel Jones went out there and made a lot of mistakes, but also had them in a position to tie the game there at the end. So starting things off, uh, you know, Giants were able to jump up pretty quick on a uh, touchdown to Deion Lewis. Nice little wheel route after Ronald Jones had a fumble to set the Giants up at the Buccaneers 12-yard lines. Uh, later in the first half, Giants were able to go 77 yards, ended with a short uh, Wayne Gallman uh, touchdown. And then later, uh, Buccaneers, after settling for field goals throughout the whole game, uh, Brady finally got Gronk from the goal line for a score and then followed it up uh, with a score to Mike Evans from inside the 10-yard line. But back against the wall, Daniel Jones on the last drive of the game uh, had a fourth and five where he was able to pretty much lob one up. Darius Slayton came back to it, made a nice catch, and picked up uh, some yak to get the f- first down. And then on fourth and 16, Daniel Jones extended the play and was able to find Sterling Shepard, I believe, uh, downfield for the first down. Comes back, you know, gets another completion, and then finally throws his best ball of the night. A nice little touchdown to Golden Tate from, uh, let's see, it was from 19 yards out. Literally put it right over the defender's overstretched hands. You know, you could say a defender shouldn't have let him get uh, behind him in the first place, but that's Showtime Tate. You can't you can't slow down this guy in prime time. Uh, in all seriousness, I do love uh, Golden Tate and his extended FU celebrations that he's stunned on seemingly every cornerback over the years. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, with the two point conversion, they tried to throw a quick little out to Deion Lewis. The refs originally threw a flag. They picked it up. I'm always team let the boys play. So, you know, I wasn't complaining about them picking up the flag. But, I mean, there was contact and they threw it at first. And, you know, we've finally gotten rid of that pass interference experiment from last year. So, not quite sure how they were over, the, over not quite sure how they were able to overturn it. Regardless, I mean, this was a bad throw by Daniel Jones that was way too late getting out there had more than a few opportunities uh, to win throughout this one and I think that you know just because of one missed call that maybe would have forced uh, overtime uh, I don't think that's something that you know we should really be uh, freaking out too much about so quickly staying on the Giants here mentioned how they had more than a few chances throughout the game to win this one and it was like one replay after another where you just see Daniel Jones he he missed Darius Slayton on one deep ball but otherwise it was like you would just see him in the corner of the screen uh, running some sick double move usually on Jamel Dean getting wide open downfield so it was unfortunate Jones didn't take uh, more shots to him uh, you know he had an errant interception uh, targeting uh, uh, Sterling Shepard I believe where you did see Darius Slayton breaking wide open but Jones just kind of got off him a little bit early and the second interception was a situation where the Defenders were, you know, bringing him to the ground, and Jones tried to make a hero play anyway. So don't be a hero, Danny Dimes, when the guy just kind of stays there and kind of lets the game come to him. You know, we see the live arm, we see the accuracy at times, and you know why the Giants, uh, you know, thought so highly of him uh, to draft him. You know, as a number six overall pick, I believe it was. But it's just always an issue with him. You know, taking the sacks, you know, making the bad, making at least you know one or two bad decisions every game. You know, he miraculously managed to not fumble uh, this game, but we know that's usually a weekly occurrence. And you know, here. 
we are in uh, week nine, and we just seen you know many more bad games than good uh, through you know two years with Daniel Jones. So unfortunately, you know we didn't even see the rushing upside that's be- that's uh, begun to become a you know every week occurrence uh, with Daniel Jones. Only twenty rushing yards on this game, so it was good to see him get moving through the air because this is a tough Pat Buccaneers defense that we saw absolutely suffocate the Green Bay Packers among other teams uh, over the years. So you know I don't want to take away too much from Daniel Jones because they certainly outperformed expectations in this game. I believe the close as 12 and a half uh, point underdogs. And again, you know, by all means, I uh, had a very good chance to force uh, overtime at a minimum. So, uh, you know, it, it was far from the worst game we've seen from Jones play this year, but uh, still a situation where just a few too many uh, mistakes and you'd like to see from someone that's now had, you know, a good amount of starts underneath his belt. So uh, we'll see moving forward. We need to see more um, rushing upside to really get behind Jones. But, you know, we know that ha- he has that in his projected range of outcomes. Uh, maybe if this Giants offense continues to get moving a little bit more, uh, we could actually get back to treating him as an upside QB2 depending on the matchup. With these running backs, we have Wayne Gallman leading the way with Devontae Freeman out, but this was not the workhorse role that we saw Saquon Barkley have, and then we saw uh, Devontae Freeman have. So Gallman ended up playing 30 snaps. Alfred Morris, blast from the past, had 12 snaps, and Deion Lewis had 13. So Deion Lewis is playing that same, you know, little use scat back role, regardless of who's healthy, but was fully expecting Gallman to play a near uh, three down, you know, workhorse role in this one. That just was not the case. He had 12 carries, 44 yards, and the goal line touchdown. Had a couple nice bursts, but just really wasn't making the first guy miss with any sort of consistency. Alfred Morris, you know, the Garrett felt good enough about him to give him eight carries, 28 yards, and also saw him out there and some pass protection snaps. So, look, it's going to be really hard to get behind any of these runs. It was already hard enough to get behind Devontae Freeman, and the only reason we were was just because he was getting, at that point, you know, 15 carries and three to five targets per game uh, when he was finally uh, forced out of the lineup. But if Gallman's, you know, going to have a rough time even getting up to 15 carries, I'm not sure we can rely on him as a true RB2 moving forward. Not, not the worst guy to have. He is their starting running back, and Devontae Freeman is going to miss time. Uh, this Giants offense could have better days, and you know he's going to have he's going to be the leader, you know, leading candidate to kind of score from the goal line. But uh, just without that big time role, we're talking about you know a true two, almost three back committee uh, in anyone's ideas of you know one of the league's worst overall offenses. So uh, New York backfield again, running behind uh, one of the league's worst offensive lines. They they had a better game than usual tonight. I don't want to take away from them too much, but I just think I would not expect you know consistent production out of anyone in this running game moving forward, particularly if this usage remains so split. Moving on to the wide receivers, talked about Darius Slayton, just all the opportunities he had. He ended up getting only, uh, okay, he had nine targets. That's not, that's not too uh, too few, but caught five of them for 56 yards, no scores, long of just 14. I mean, this guy is legit, a legit down-the-field weapon. You know, you wish that they would uh, just try to force Daniel Jones to throw him the ball a little more often, but that just was not the case. Again, had an awesome 12-yard gain on fourth and five of the game on the line. Slayton showed out this year. He had two touchdowns over 100 yards in week one against the Steelers, a big game against the Cowboys as well, who doesn't I know but uh, Slayton has shown out this year and showed that you know his rookie year wasn't a fluke and right now in this offense I mean it's him Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram so I know Golden Tate had the touchdown at the end but just three targets on the game we had Shepard with 10 targets caught eight of them for 74 yards Shepard's kind of like their alpha number one wide receiver that they're going to use kind of you know in short intermediate and deep routes alike but Slayton uh, as long as he's getting you know this sort of similar target share he'll probably be the favorite to lead the way in air yards more often and he gets those you know more fancy friendly uh, downfield shots so Shepard's going to have the higher floor, Slayton the higher ceiling. What was good to see is that Evan Ingram actually, you know, was finally getting uh, some deep uh, target share. I know he, I know he dropped the one last week, but had an almost an identical throw on this one over his shoulder, uh, where he was able to catch it for 30 yards. So five catches, 61 yards on 10 
targets. They gave him a reverse that actually worked this time uh, for nine yards. But, you know, he does look good out there. And it does seem like they're continuing to make an effort to get him the ball, even though things haven't been going uh, so great early on. So, uh, you know, Ingram, he's going to be a guy that's going to be flirting, uh, flirting around that tight end one borderline. It's wild that he's not, you know, a locked in top five, top six option. But uh, this is a situation with the Giants where we just haven't seen, you know, enough consistency and any sort of upside from Ingram in this version of the offense to really warrant much more. And then Shepard and Slayton, I think we can almost both tr- treat as a, you know, upside wide receiver threes here. Shepard, I mean, just gets six targets like clockwork. Uh, you know, he even had 10 in this one. So I think uh, if anyone is going to kind of become a potential top 24 option, I do think it's Sterling Shepard just because Slayton, uh, kind of like we see what Michael Gallup. I mean, it's it's fun when these deep routes down the sideline work, and it does give him you know a higher ceiling, as I said. But at the same time, and you know, a pretty erratic offense. Those are also the sorts of uh, routes and games that lead you to more boomer bust outcomes. Uh, moving over to the Tampa Bay side of things, wasn't a great performance from Tom Brady. Twenty eight for forty, two hundred seventy nine yards, uh, two scores. Just missed a good amount of throws in the first half. Uh, had you know a potential to get Evans deep and wasn't able to put it on him. I believe uh, Scotty Miller had one or two in the first half as well but overall it wasn't so much on Brady there was you know a situation where it looked like that the receivers were not separating as much as uh, we would like to see uh, because you know Brady did drop a couple down deep uh, to Scotty Miller uh, even to Jaden Mickens who was playing a lot in this one uh, where like the defender made a good play got a hand in there but you know it's also a situation where Brady put the ball pretty much exactly where it needed to be so he did have two nice touchdowns one to Mike Evans from inside the 10 and one to Rob Gronkowski from a three-yard line just zoomed it in there he did focus most of his attention on Evans, Gronk, and Jaden Mickens. Uh, we also had Leonard Fournette getting six targets, Scotty Miller six targets, but it was Mickens with eight, Evans with seven, and Gronk uh, with four in the you know fantasy-friendly uh, end zone look that he cashed in on. So uh, Evans was the only guy to clear 50 yards with 55 yards and a score. Had James Bradbury following around for most of the night, and Bradbury made life tough, made a couple nice plays. Evans drew a DPI, but that was almost because Bradbury was in too good of a position. You know, they've battled throughout all the years, uh, you know, with the Buccaneers playing the Carolina Panthers twice a season when Bradbury was playing with them before. Uh, but, you know, even though Evans has had big games, he has big games against everyone. Bradbury does consistently make life tough on these receivers. So, you know, when you got a number one wide receiver going up against the Giants, like Evans, you know, you play your studs. You don't worry. You don't let a single wide receiver cornerback matchup get you off of someone as good as Mike Evans. But it is a situation where, you know, we probably should rein in the expectations on what we're expecting from them in terms of a ceiling game. Uh, looking at this team moving forward, though, I mean, it's really easy to see a situation where Evans kind of continues to get Get this role, but uh, you know, and again, he, it's been up and down. I get it, he's not getting these double digit targets, but they're using him more as just a vertical uh, field stretcher and a red zone threat. And he's doing great. Mike Evans this year has six targets inside the 10 yard line, and he has six touchdowns. So, uh, okay, they, they tried to throw him a two point conversion, and he didn't cash in on that. So, it hasn't been a hundred, a hundred percent if you really want to get picky. But I mean, he truly is just a monster uh, in the red zone area, and Brady's putting it on him. But I just think, you know, you look at this game, Scotty Miller getting six targets, Tyler Johnson had two, and Mickens to get an eight, you know, lined up in the slot and out wide. I mean, there is more than enough room for Antonio Brown to seamlessly come in here and just get all sorts of run. I mean, people do not underestimate the chances of Antonio Brown being the straight up number one wide receiver in Tampa Bay. And that is not a slight on Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, even, you know, at less than hundred percent, these guys are still great enough to, you know, to warrant plenty of usage in Tampa Bay. But look at what happened last season with the Patriots when Antonio Brown showed up. We had Julian Edelman healthy, who how many great memories have he and Brady had? We had 
got Josh Gordon healthy, who was another guy that Brady had been, you know, trying to get on the squad for a long time, had a touchdown in week one. It seemed like he uh, was maybe number one wide receiver. And we also had James White active, who, again, you know, is one of these guys that Brady fed the ball to just all the time. Anyway, 24 snaps from AB in that game, fed the guy eight targets, also had a rush attempt. I mean, I don't think Brady would go through all this trouble just to, you know, feed AB, you know, this three or four uh, target workload per game. I don't think AB would be standing for that either. So, you know, without taking anything away from Evans and Goblin, I just think that AB is coming in as the healthiest option, as potentially the best option. And I would not be surprised if Tom Brady feeds him, uh, you know, a, a courting wide receiver one workload from week nine on. So I'm going to be firing up AB as a legit top 20 option at the position. Again, I think there's enough room for Mike Evans and Chris Goblin to also eat when we get back, when he gets back. But I just do not see a scenario where the Buccaneers went through all this trouble, took on all this bad PR, and, you know, Brady had to just, you know, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, only to, you know, not give A.B. Uh, this, this sort of big role. So, you know, think what you want about the guy. I'm not asking you to like Antonio Brown. He's done a lot of questionable things, particularly over these past two years. But, you know, nothing about this guy on the field has ever uh, indicated that he's not a stud. You know, even down the stretch a little bit in Pittsburgh in 2018, it was looking like maybe he wasn't uh, going to be the same, uh, you know, just overwhelming guy but came on fire in the second half of that season and again we saw him immediately show some chemistry with Brady in their one game together so truly everyone you know you picked up Antonio Brown uh, you know you got him on the bench he needs to be in the starting lineup in week nine and beyond uh, quickly on this backfield and then we'll get on to some waiver wire thoughts so this was actually the Leonard Fournette show he had 46 snaps Ronald Jones only 16 it did seem like Ronald Jones was not fully benched because we saw him out there again but he caught a pass that was tipped it was just a check down Brady threw it it got tipped and Ronald Jones caught it and then he fumbled and the you know Giants recovered it. I thought it was a drop, honestly. I, I thought it should have been ruled an incomplete pass the first time I saw it. You know, then they show the slow motion where it looks like everything's a catch and they've had the ball for ages, so it didn't work out that way. But you know, kind of a funky situation for them to really go back to Rojo. I'll admit that Fournette looked like the better runner. And, you know, we saw him have this big pass game roll last week, so it was hardly, you know, impossible for this sort of thing to happen uh, in the game. It does look like they're going to be going with a little bit of a two-headed RB committee, but it's going to be a hot hand approach uh, uh, in addition to Fournette getting most of the pass down work. But you know, Rojo's been playing some really good ball for them. His passing game usage has been the consistent struggle, but it's like they've had Shady, they've had Keyshawn Vaughn, now they have Fournette to take that work, you know, to bench Ronald Jones and not even give him a chance to run the ball more than seven times because of an error he made in the passing game. It's like, how many times are you going to try to fit, uh, you know, this square peg into a round hole? It just seems like Ronald Jones, he's very good when they ask him to be an early down back and run the ball between the tackles, but when they give him the pass game, bad things happen more times than not. So it's, you know, it's, Unfortunate it happened, but how many times do you know we how many times we need to see him drop a ball or fumble a ball and blame it on him? Put your players in a position to succeed. That is not using Ronald Jones as a receiver. So seemed like a silly reason to bench him. I don't think it's gonna be a situation where he's on the bench the rest of the year. I mean, we saw him blow pass protection assignments and fumble last season, uh, where you know he might get pulled for a game or for a little bit, but Arians wasn't afraid to go back to him. So uh, you know, important thing is that we did not see Keyshawn Vaughn, we did not see uh LaShawn McCoy out there, so it's still a two back backfield and a high scoring offense we can live with that it's just uh you know both these guys probably better approach you know just as kind of lower end rb2s you know to even a high end rb3s just because it is going to be a little bit volatile week to week they both have low floors but because it's not you know split 50 50 and it can kind of swing either way it kind of gives them higher ceilings as well so not the most sure you know fancy assets you want in your lineup but uh, the range of outcomes for them is much higher than it was in previous weeks when we had more than just two running backs 
to deal with. So fun game. Uh, Buccaneers 25, Giants 23. And again, uh, you know, I know I know I said some hateful things about the Giants in there, but that's just from a fantasy perspective. They truly did, uh, I think, shock a lot of people here with their performance tonight. Quick shout out to our uh, sponsors here. So all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge Annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your 20 bucks with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge Annual subscription. Got some waiver wire thoughts, everyone. I've gone through... Uh, Yahoo, ESPN, just looking at some of the patterns with, you know, who's getting added more, who are, you know, who's kind of the trendy guys on the waiver wire articles. And I just want to go through them. You know, I got about 10 guys listed, go through them, give them my thoughts and kind of like how uh, much you should, you should specifically be looking at these guys. We do have, uh, you know, solid waiver wire articles on PFF.com. That'll be up on Tuesday. I encourage you to check that out for some more specifics on the fad spending. But, you know, overall, I don't think there's really anyone this week that we need to absolutely freak out about. But, uh, you know, I say that just as an all, you know, kind of overall statement I know uh, not you know every league is created equal and we could have uh, some bigger thoughts so I do include a few guys in here that you know you might laugh at me and say oh my gosh like you really think that guy's available in any league and you know I hope you laugh because you have him already in uh, you know Chase Edmonds case but you know just maybe there's some uh, listener out there that doesn't have uh, Chase Edmonds and they are available and they don't realize how big of a gold mine that is so you know please excuse uh, you know just the silly as you might call it uh, fantasy talking we are looking out for each and every listener out there in all these funky leagues so without further ado let's get to it so logan thomas is someone that is emerging again as a top 15 tight end option so look his role hasn't changed all season he's been playing between 75 and 90 percent snaps ever since week one his targets though have been a little funky he had eight nine and seven to start the year and now he's had four and four consecutive games so with kyle allen he's caught three passes for 42 yards in the score and then most recently four catches for 60 yards in a score so Hey, Kyle Allen, he's not someone that's going to give you consistent high-end fantasy upside, but as we saw in Carolina last year, he is someone that can at least enable fantasy-relevant pieces around him, unless your name is Curtis Samuel, unfortunately. So Logan Thomas, I do think he's going to you know, kind of settle in as his top 15 tight end option. You know, I understand that's not someone you're actively looking to get, but you know, with bye weeks and injuries and all that, uh, I do think you can do worse than a guy that's you know, going to be able to get between four and six targets more weeks than not and you know, rarely leave the field. So not a great offense, but truly behind... Uh, you know, Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas does and has looked like their number two receiver more weeks than not. Uh, Jordan Wilkins. So I think he's a great guy to have on the bench, but don't go crazy. I do not think this is Jordan Wilkins backfield all of a sudden. And Jonathan Taylor is just going to hit the bench because of this one good game. So first of all, yards per carry is not the best stat for showing RB play, but I just feel like the general consensus is that Wilkins has been like outplaying Jonathan Taylor all season long. Like Jordan Wilkins has 3.7 yards per carry and Jonathan Taylor is at 3.9. Now, the advanced metrics, which I like to shout out a lot, are fully in Wilkins' uh, corner because he is number one in forced missed tackles per rush. And we see, you know, Jonathan Taylor looped in the bottom uh, with some of the worst, the worst guys you can imagine. So I get it. Wilkins has been the better back this season. But you look at this game last week. I mean, in the first three quarters, Jonathan Taylor played 23 snaps. Wilkins played 21. Naeem, Naeem Hines played 11. In the fourth quarter, Wilkins played 17 and 24 backfield snaps. And this was a blowout game. This is what we have seen from them all throughout the season and blowouts. It's kind of weird how the Colts, you know, aren't exactly anyone's idea of a juggernaut. They're a good team and everything, but 
they've just been winning games by massive amounts at certain stages this year. So ever since, you know, they had the week one game where Marlon Mack got hurt. They beat the Vikings by 17. They beat the Jets by 29. They beat the Bears 19-11. to And I think the Bears finally scored their touchdown with under two minutes left in the game. And they lost the Browns. They had the Bengals game where they, you know, were actually down multiple scores. And then they played the Lions where they, you know, win by 20. So we've really only seen... I mean, we actually haven't seen a game where the Colts have just, you know, won by a score or two, but it's been, you know, close enough throughout that Taylor's, you know, been able to remain the guy. What's been happening is that, look, Jonathan Taylor, he is their starter. He's their guy that they've been relying on for more carries throughout the year. And when they get up so much, they just feel comfortable putting Wilkins in to kind of ice the game away. So it's like a Gus Edwards situation where he's far more involved than, he, than you know, we would like him to be, but he's playing well enough, you know, to kind of continue to warrant it. But, hey, it's it's 10 to 12 carries more weeks than not, and so of you know a run first offense with an awesome offensive line but look I still think this is more or less like a middle class man's Latavius uh, Murray here because if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt which you know Frank Reich did say he's dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury so if Jonathan Taylor somehow misses time okay Wilkins is going to you know definitely be around that RB1 borderline but we still have Naeem Hines being in there siphoning off some carries and a bunch of targets himself and again Taylor is not going anywhere so hey Wilkins has played well enough and it's an annoying situation where before the bye uh, he had a calf injury didn't play much in one game. The next week, seemingly when he was more healthy, uh, he still didn't play much. So a little surprising to see him get so involved last week. But again, I think a lot of that could have been game script induced. So, you know, my past statements on John, I talked about this a little bit on the Monday pod, but, you know, my past kind of sentiment that Taylor, you know, could be the prime uh, buy low slash buy even candidate. Not looking so hot right now. I do think he'll settle in as an RB2 more weeks than not. But hey, upcoming matchup against the Ravens, not exactly the time to be loving that. So I think this will be a situation where we might not have any of these guys in our starting lineup if you're blessed enough to have uh, some better options at the RB position but I would not be going crazy trying to scoop up Jordan Wilkins because I just think if anything what uh, last week's you should tell us is that this is firmly a three RB backfield not that Jordan Wilkins necessarily taking over uh, Jonathan Taylor's kind of lead spot anytime soon moving on to the Cardinals. So I, I saw Christian Kirk and Chase Edmonds popping up as, you know, people that are still being added in a ton of leagues. Look, we've been preaching on this podcast since the summer. Latavius Murray, Chase Edmonds, Alexander Madison, and Tony Pollard as the league's true three-down handcuffs. Mike Davis has earned inclusion on that list. There might be some other guys that can get there. You know, Giovanni Bernard, Jamal Williams, we've seen have huge roles as well. But Chase Edmonds has always been there. So I really hope you already have him on your bench. If not, I don't know why you're still listening to this podcast. Go scoop him up the waiver if he is there, I would not be afraid to put, you know, a heavy amount of fab on it. So Cliff Kingsbury did say that Kenyon Drake's ankle injury is not as bad as they thought, and they're very fortunate, and they called Drake day-to-day. But, you know, look, Chase, he's at the point where he's almost got, you know, weekly flex consideration anyway, and that's if Drake is miraculously healthy and going to be back to playing his usual role. So, I mean, it's not too far away from Edmonds seemingly just winning this job based on, you know, meritocracy alone. But I do uh, just think that either way needs to be on the roster. And again, sorry for wasting time on that, but I do just want to drive that point in as much as I can. Uh, Christian Kirk, someone that you could also pick up if he happens to be out there. 5.3 targets per game, not a lot. You know, he has, and he's had his two. Uh, two two touchdown games in his last two uh, ones out there, but you know came against the vaunted Cowboys and Seahawks secondary, so a little bit fluky there. I do think this passing game, you know, beyond DeAndre Hopkins, uh, is just you know pretty tough to figure out one way or another. But I do think you know if there is another wide receiver to own in the Arizona Cardinals offense, it would be Christian Kirk. 
Patriots running back Damian Harris. So he is going to be a volume-based RB2 in best-case scenario matchups. Keep an eye on Sony Michelle because if he comes back, this is going to become a true mess. But, I mean, you look at what happened last week. He Damian Harris worked behind Rex Burkhead and James White in terms of snaps. He had no targets. But... It's, I mean, in a game that they were close in, and as we saw, you know, in his uh, in his debut against the Chiefs, uh, in a game that was pretty close, and they also just didn't have camps, so they were kind of doing uh, whatever they could just to move the ball a little bit. We saw him, you know, get these 15 plus carries, and when he's running well enough behind, you know, this uh, usually good blocking offensive front, he can he can go for triple digit yards, you know, potentially fall into the end zone once. But in the losses that he's been in there, he's only had seven and 11 touches. So truly, anyone's idea of a true, you know, game script dependent uh, RB two in a best case matchup and. Probably Probably more of an RB3, RB4 uh, in, in bad ones. So, you know, you look ahead to uh, what's going to be up uh, next. You know, with the Jets coming up on Monday night, okay, we're going to have Damian Harris, you know, firmly in that RB2 range. But the following week with the, with the Ravens, that's going to be more of an RB3, RB4. Again, this is dependent on Sony Michelle, you know, not being there. But I think, uh, you know, cautiously with Houston on the horizon after that Baltimore game, I mean, that's two out of three pretty usable weeks for a guy that we can look to get 15 to 20 touches in an offense that's just dying for production. So, Damian Harris, I wouldn't mind floating out a little bit of fab. I don't think, you know, you're ever going to get anything resembling RB1 value, but uh, just, you know, I think with two pretty solid game scripts potentially coming up, I do think he could be someone that you'd be feeling okay about uh, in starting lineups in more leagues than not. Uh, unfortunately, George Kittle is going to be missing eight weeks, uh, you know, with a, with a uh, broken foot. Just absolutely brutal. One of my favorite guys and, you know, to watch and just one of the most fun players in the league. So Kyle Shanahan is apparently optimistic about Jordan Reed's chances of returning from the injured reserve. And if he's out still, it's going to be Ross Dwelly season on Thursday night against the Packers. So Jordan Reed came out this year and he looked healthy and pretty damn good early on. I mean, he had seven catches, 50 yards, two scores on eight targets against the Jets. But hey, he looked good doing so. Got hurt shortly after, uh, you know, I. He's not going to replace Kittle, obviously, but hey, you know, in a tight end position this year where it's pretty much been Travis Kelsey, uh, Darren Waller, and everyone else with the exception of, you know, a few, uh, you know, spurts from Jonu Smith and some guys like that, uh, you know, I do think Jordan Reed could be someone that if we see him get out there, uh, be featured as, you know, number one pass game option, as he really was uh, versus the Jets, he's going to be someone that could be cracking into that top 10 uh, pretty quickly. So, you know, compared to, uh, you know, someone like Logan Thomas, I do think I would rather have uh, Logan Thomas and take, you know, all those snaps and uh, just kind of just better uh, chances of not getting injured because I mean oh my goodness at this point with Jordan Reed but I do think, you know, in deeper leagues, he is a good option uh, to scoop up at the moment uh, with him, you know, again, likely coming off IR this week. Uh, Ross Dwelly, someone I'm not really as much behind. He's had okay moments, but, you know, ultimately just one career game with more than 30 yards, had a two-touchdown game last year, but only 14 yards in that. So, you know, maybe he dominates more red zone targets, but I just think the overall ceiling on this 49ers offense and the team in general is just uh, getting pretty limited at this point without Kittle, without Jimmy G, without Debo, without Mostert. I mean, you know, volume will kill, you know, in fantasy football I get that and we want to try to find it uh, where we can but at some point we do have to realize that with this 49ers offense probably just not going to be as much production as we are used to seeing Lions wide receiver Marvin Jones, a popular ad uh, with Kenny Galladay, expecting to maybe spend some time on the short-term IR with a hip injury. So, you know, Jones had back-to-back duds under 10 yards in weeks four and six, but then five catches, 80 yards, and then most recently three catches, 39 yards, and two scores. He had 13 combined targets in those two games. He's number one, and, you know, expect Stafford to continue to feed him. You know, one thing with Stafford, we know this guy just has a freaking howitzer uh, for a right arm, and, you know, when he does have a talented uh, jump ball wide receiver on the outside, like Megatron, like Kenny Galladay, 
Like even Marvin Jones, uh, we have seen him, you know, feed him with reckless abandon at times. So we have seen him play without Galladay. Now it was in his uh, rookie season, and obviously their roles have kind of evolved over time. Kenny Galladay is a true number one. And I think, you know, 2017 Marvin Jones was, or 2018, excuse me, uh, Marvin Jones was certainly a better talent than the guy we're seeing out there in 2020. But I mean, in these games without Galladay, I mean, uh, Jones had 42 yards, 54 yards, 96 yards in the score, 128 yards, and then 107 yards in two scores on an average of 9.8 targets. So look, he's not Galladay, but if he's going to be getting these, you know, potential double digit targets every single week, uh, he could actually be a consistent wide receiver to value uh, facing a Viking secondary next, which is, you know, already men and now all sorts of banged up. Then we get Washington and Carolina. Again, Marvin Jones could be a legit, you know, sneaky top 20, top 24 option while Kenny Galladay remains sidelined. Someone needs to catch the ball in Detroit. Uh, Matthew Stafford is playing well. We're going to see this offense take a little bit of a step back, you know, in the first two weeks without Galladay. Uh, Matthew Stafford's average target that really wasn't that high. And obviously, uh, Marvin Jones didn't put up these sorts of numbers uh, in 2020 without Kenny Galladay uh, involved. But I still think it's a situation where, uh, you know, with Jones looking better, with this offense trending more towards uh, passing the ball, uh, I do think they keep up the downfield attack to an extent, and Marvin Jones should be a major part of that. Uh, there's been a lot of heat on the Will Fuller to Green Bay mo- uh, rumors, so we'll see what happens there. But if that is the case, both Randall Cobb and, and to even a higher extent Kenny Stills are going to become weekly viable fantasy options. Deshaun Watson has his best PFF passing grade ever, and he's averaging more yards per attempt ever. I mean, the defense can't stop anyone. They had the brutal early season stretch, and they just haven't been, really been able to pull off these wins. But Watson is putting up as much production as ever. And, you know, you look at Randall Cobb, he's been somewhat usable this year. He's the overall PPR wide receiver 40. So it wouldn't, you know, be ridiculous to project, you know, a jump in maybe 10 spots or so and become more of a, you know, high floor wide receiver three in this offense. And we got Kenny Stills, who averaged 10.2 yards per target last season. And now he's at a 13.8 yard, uh, you know, average per reception this year. So uh, mostly Brandon Cooks is going to be emerging in this offense if Fuller does uh, leave town. But I do think, you know, trying to get Cobb and Stills on the bench if you're fairly weak at wide receiver and just kind of have uh, some spare parts going to be guys that you know aren't going to cost you much in the waiver wire this week and I think they really could emerge as solid bench guys uh, if and when Will Fuller is traded uh, real quickly on if you know Will Fuller does go to Green Bay uh, I would expect him to continue to be an every week upside wide receiver too and Devontae Adams uh, would just you know continue to be the overall wide receiver one Fuller going to Green Bay would just enhance the entire offense it wouldn't take away from anyone uh, similar to what we've seen over the years in Houston with DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson and both being better with Fuller on the field than without. A couple more guys to go over, but quick shout out before we do so. Uh, PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field. 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into a game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football. So mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Got six more topics to touch on, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Pro Football Focus uh, Fantasy Football Podcast. Next up, Corey Davis. Like Marvin Jones, I think we need to you know, realize that we just haven't quite been respecting the upside here. Uh, and Corey Davis has legit wide receiver two potential the rest of the way. This season, they both played five games. Corey Davis has 38 targets. A.J. Brown is 36. Corey Davis has 29 receptions. A.J. Brown is 27. Corey Davis has 369 yards. A.J. Brown is 354. Corey Davis has three touchdowns. 
AJ Brown has five. Look, it's always AJB wide receiver one season on this podcast. You guys know it. I know it. That's fine. But Ryan Tannehill has been a top 10 QB ever since he took over for the Tennessee Titans. It would make sense if a top 10 QB can enable more than one fancy wide receiver, particularly where we got Adam Humphreys, you know, at risk of missing this game. We got Jonu Smith ever since he's come back from his injury. He hasn't been as involved in the passing attack. And we just have a running back room that, you know, is more and more filled with early down guys that just have no, uh, you know, real role in the passing game week to week. So truly this passing game is flowing through Davis and A.J. Brown. It's condensed at the top. We've seen them running more plays in Tennessee because of both increased pace and just them being willing to let Tannehill uh, try to cook out there. So, you know, it's Corey Davis. We've been burned by this guy in the past. I get it. But, you know, as we see with Prashad Perryman, and as we've seen you know, with some of these other guys that actually improve because you're allowed to improve in real life football, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the wildest thing to see Corey Davis as he's continuing to get ingrained with his quarterback uh, actually start to play like the guy that we saw be a number five overall pick a few years back. So, you know, just because Corey Davis is balling doesn't mean it's an indictment on A.J. Brown. I think both of these guys could actually be top 24 wide receivers more weeks than not moving forward. I am all about getting Corey Davis on the waiver wire this week. Famous last words from Ian Harditz. Uh, uh, with this uh, Ravens backfield, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, they're both quality ads. I mean, the big concern last week with Mark Ingram being out was whether or not Justice Hill would make us a three-RB committee, and he did not. He did not have a single touch. I believe he only played one or two uh, total snaps. So, you know, Gus is going to get more early down work and Dobbins more pass game stuff. But, you know, in a run-first offense, both these guys are looking at 15-plus touches every single week, and we just weren't seeing anything close to that uh, previously. Look, Edwards had 14 touches in Week 6. That was the only time all season anybody had it passed even 12 touches in a game so as long as Ingram stays sideline we can actually feel good about both these guys you know in that top 20 top 24 uh, RB range not neither of them are going to be you know on that you know top 10 top 12 radar without you know another injury because this is going to still be a situation where Lamar Jackson's taking plenty of carries himself and we know that he's not you know too keen on usually targeting his running back so not the highest of ceilings but we finally have a good enough touch floor for both of these guys you know who've been talented running backs and playing great all year particularly in terms of yards after contact uh, per rush attempt. Dobbins is tied with Nick Chubb for the league lead there. I think both these guys can give us a lot of value in a Ravens offense that, you know, struggled against the Steelers, but we're still uh, pretty much five yards away uh, from finding a way how to win that game and kind of taking away uh, this narrative that's been surrounding them. So, you know, upcoming matchups against the Colts, Patriots, Titans, Steelers again, Cowboys, Browns, Jaguars, Giants. Uh, if there's a way for this, you know, situation in Baltimore to reveal itself more down the stretch, uh, you're going to wish you had one of these backs on the team. So uh, definitely, you know, priority adds. Wouldn't... <sighs> I wouldn't use up all my fab on getting Dobbins or Edwards, but, you know, it, it doesn't hurt. And if you're someone where you have, a, you know, a bunch of fab left and you have more than the rest of your league and you're able, you know, to bid the minimum max amount to, you know, get these guys, I would say uh, that is what I'd be looking to do. Uh, with the Seahawks, DJ Dallas, he's someone I'm going to probably let someone else try to sign. Uh, so, look, both Chris Carson and uh, Carlos Hyde were game-time decisions, and Travis Homer was seemingly only active for emergency purposes. So, it's great that the Seahawks gave DJ Dallas his true every down workhorse role, but he really didn't do much with it. I know he scored two touchdowns, but I don't believe he had a single touch go uh, for longer than 10 yards. And we've seen this in, with the Seahawks over the years. I mean, Thomas Rawls, CJ Procise, and we've had these random running backs go in, play well enough with the featured role, but then once the starter comes back, they get the ball again. So Rashad Penny is someone uh, that could be back in action sooner rather than later. I just think all these guys are going to eventually be used over DJ Dallas here, uh, you know, as we move forward. Maybe I'm wrong. 
wrong, but I just think uh, these injuries, they, none of them seem all that serious. And once these guys are healthy, DJ Dallas is going to be back on the bench. So, you know, I do anticipate him being someone that people are probably going to be trying to spend up for. Uh, not the worst guy to have because if the injuries do persist, then okay, he's going to be usable every week that these guys are out. But it doesn't seem to me like they're going to be out too much longer. And if it, it's going to cost anything, uh, I'm probably not going to be getting down with DJ Dallas here moving forward. To Michael Hasey with the 49ers. So here we are. You know, Tevin Coleman's got this knee injury. Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson uh, remain on IR. So uh, Michael Hasey is the next man or the fourth man up, however you want to call it. He is, you know, looking like the early down running back. But even then, uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon's the guy they trust out there much more. McKinnon did steal away a goal line carry. So two RB backfield. We'll see if they even add a third person to it. Like, it's not like that'd be the first time Kyle Shanahan has found a running back out of nowhere. But it just seems like he's getting a lot of hype. I mean, treat him as more of an RB3. He's fine. He's shown some bursts, had a couple nice runs, but, you know, 32 rushes, 132 yards, and one rushing score. And again, they're just not really showing any faith in this guy kind of being out there on the field uh, when they're in comeback mode, which could be uh, a lot of the time here moving forward without Kittle, without Jimmy G, and with that defense still all sorts of banged up. So, uh, you know, quality guy that you could be slotting in as a top 30 back more weeks than not, but I just think the ceiling is limited and uh, the floor is probably a little bit overrated in a 49ers offense that we should be expecting to kind of trend downwards here moving forward. Last one to talk about, uh, Zach Moss. Uh, another one of these guys where it's not its not the worst guy you can have on your bench and you know, as a spot starter. He's going to be getting between 12 and 15 touches per week and a great Bills offense. But two things that Josh Allen do- doesn't do is, uh, you know, enable – okay, I said that wrong. Josh Allen does not check down to his running backs with any sort of consistency, and he takes off inside the 10-yard line to run for touchdowns more than just about any other quarterback. So, you know, Zach Moss, he is the bigger guy. Because of that, we're seeing Singletary uh, get more of the targets. Not saying Moss can't catch, but Singletary has been used as more of a primary pass down back. And even though Moss is the goal line back, and we saw him convert uh, with two carries for scores last week, Josh Allen also got a carry. And I just think, don't think we're going to see consistent efforts to get him the ball inside the five-yard line. So, you know, I do think Singletary has largely looked better throughout the year. Maybe Moss is getting healthy now. It would make sense if as a rookie, you know, he's going to have his better games as the season goes on and gets more comfortable. But uh, just not someone that I think we're going to be, you know, too hyped about because, you know, even if Singletary or Moss goes down, uh, we know TJ Yeldon is waiting in the wings to, ca- to continue to make this a two-RB backfield. And, and, you know, with Josh Allen, the guy, you know, is able to put up points when he's playing well, but again, not exactly the top quarterback we like when it comes to enabling fancy-friendly running backs. All right, everyone, that's going to do it. Thank you, as always, for listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We're bringing you new episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, Make sure you check out our Wednesday podcast edition where I break down all 16 games with PFF's own Andrew Erickson. So until next time, everybody, I'm Ian Harditz. Thank you for tuning in, as always, and take care. 